Hallelujah. Come on, let's give God some praise. Amen. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. Your promises will always stand, God. We bless your name right now. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Well, as you can see, Pastor Jeff and Miss Cindy are still on vacation. So you're going to have to deal with me for the next 30 minutes. Amen. <laughs> but I believe that the Lord has a word for you. Amen. I believe he has a word for you so you can be seated. Today I want to talk about the costly yet joyful journey of following Jesus. But before I get into that, I want to mention Friday night we had a prayer vigil all night to Saturday morning called Midnight Oil. And my goodness, it was so good. If you missed it, you just missed it. We're going to do it again in September. So we were in the upper room and we had a wonderful time of prayer and just believing God would move not just in our lives in this church, but in this country. Because how many of you know we need a move of God in this country? Amen. Like never before, we need a move of God. But it's going to start with us. It's going to start with us. So living the life as a Christian, being faithful, serving, being obedient to his word, Listen, it does not have to be dull. It does not have to be a drag. It does not have to be a duty. It can be and it should be a delight. And so though sometimes it might be hard, the Bible gives us the secret to living a joy-filled journey as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I want to start from Psalm 1611 and as a foundation of what David said. He said, you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you, God, for the people who are not just hearers but doers. So, God, let us internalize your word, Father, and disperse it to a world that is desperate to know where the hope can be found, where joy can be found, and ultimately where the love can be found. And it's in you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So I want to talk about the costly yet joy joyful journey of following Jesus. I was looking at a recent Barna poll, and it said that only 5% of Christians are, Christians are discipling others. 5%. But yet, we see the last thing Jesus said to his disciples. He said, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and make converts. Churches at large, we do a great job of making converts. Having people come and get saved or go out to them and they give their heart to Jesus. But what about discipleship? What about walking along someone and showing them how to live this life as a Christian? I thank God for the man that came into my life when I was 21. I gave my heart to Jesus and he took me under his wing. And I learned a lot by watching him. I just want to encourage everyone in here. If you're not discipling anyone, why not? Maybe you think it's too hard. Oh, here's one. Maybe it's not convenient for you. Maybe you don't think you can do it. I'm here to tell you, you can do it. You don't have to be a Bible scholar, but you do have to live for the Lord. I should have got another amen on that one. You do have to live for the Lord. Amen. So that, that troubled me to know that only 5% of Christians are discipling. I was also looking at the poll, and it said Christians in discipleship community are more likely to feel re-energized by time spent with Jesus and derive deep joy and satisfaction from their relationship to Jesus. It further said from all Christians, 45% said 
say that their relationship with Jesus brings them deep joy and satisfaction. But it jumps up 20, 20 more percents to 65% say that those receive or have that deep joy in them when they're in a discipleship community, 65%. But I think there's a link, and we're going to see this in Scripture, not just from a poll. There's a link from following Jesus and having his joy in our heart. Amen? Because, again, the basis of this is we do not have to be boring Christians. We do not have to. Listen, Christianity is not boring. I don't know about you, but when I was in the world, I had some exciting times, right? I did a lot of things that I should never have done, but it wasn't boring to me, right? And I did not come into Christianity changing who I am in that aspect. I still love to have fun. I'm going to be having fun tonight, amen, at a life group, and I'm just going to plug that. If you're 18 to 35 years old and you want to play some volleyball, come on out because we're going to play volleyball. We're going to eat. We're going to get in the Word. And listen, I believe we as Christians don't have to live day to day boring and, and with a sad look on our face and you know, people say, how are you doing? Oh, I guess I'm all right. I mean, come on. We serve a living God. He, Jesus died on the cross for us. Come on. That is not just for heaven, but it is for now that we can experience a joy-filled life. And it comes as a disciple of Jesus. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower, a pupil, a learner, a student. It's denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus. You know, the, the ironic thing is we live in a culture that we feel like that if we please ourselves, we'll be happy. But in Christianity, it's the opposite. We deny ourselves and we find true joy. So we're going to get into that. Amen. But listen, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, and it'll be up on the screen. He said, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone, anyone would come after me, but deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And we look at Luke 5, excuse me, 9, verse 57. says, as they were going along a road, talking about Jesus and his disciples, someone just came up to him and said, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, that is a dangerous statement to make when you're talking about Jesus. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And in verse 58, Jesus said to him, he pretty much said, oh, really? You're going to follow me wherever I go? Well, guess what? Foxes have holes. Birds of the air, they have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You sure you want to come follow me? And then another said, to another he said, follow me. But this person said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. That seems like a reasonable request, reasonable request. But Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And then yet still a third person said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Another seemingly reasonable request. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So just briefly, I want to talk about these three different people who want, would want to be disciples or followers of Jesus. The first one wanted to follow Jesus, but he did not realize the uncertainty of the journey. That this was not going to be comfortable. So this, was, this came at the cost of comfort. This came at the cost of inconvenience. And I just say that living as a Christian 
I know we're sitting in padded seats right now. We have air conditioner blowing when it's a triple-digit weather outside right now, right? We got carpet to come in on. I've been in places in other countries where it's dirt, right? And, and there's no air conditioning, but it's hot, but yet there's still the fire of God there. And listen, I'm not against the comfortable carpets. I'm not against the, the coffee bar that's out here that you get free coffee from. You know, a lot of churches do these things. Not against those things at all, but that is not Christianity. Just let that settle real quick. But I, I think sometimes we portray that in our life. We, that's a portrait we have that everything is supposed to go right. That we're supposed to hear a message that's going to bless our socks off, right? A message that's going to make us feel good about ourselves, right? Or we, we think that we're supposed to live with Christ and there's not going to be any heartache. Or there's not going to be any pain. There's not going to be any suffering. That is not the mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he makes it very clear when he said, take up your cross and follow me. The cross that we're taking up is, is not because, oh, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet for my mortgage or for my electricity bill and I'm in a little bind and I need a breakthrough. That's not the cross. The cross that Jesus had in mind to take up is the suffering at his name. And it's not just mainly people that may persecute you because you name the name of Christ, but it's also because you are trying to live a life of obedience to God, and yet there's temptation, there's an enemy, there might be friends and people in your life who are saying you're crazy and you shouldn't do that, and you're trying to live this perfect, obedient life to God but yet you are tempted to do wrong. You are tempted to go against God's will. That's a form of suffering, and that is carrying your cross because you are carrying it for Jesus, but yet you might also be persecuted. Don't think that that cannot happen to America because I'm telling you right now, we are on that path right now. If you did not know that, then newsflash, we are on the path to where very soon... 5, 10, 15 years, I don't know, I'm not a prophet, but I can tell you for sure we are on the path where because you name the name of Christ, you will experience a persecution that you've never thought would happen in America. And some of this is going on in other countries right now. But the cost of comfort is what this would-be disciple had to face. Would I be willing to follow Jesus when I don't know if I'm going to be safe? When I don't know if there's going to be shelter, if I'm going to be secure, if there's going to be any food or any clothing for me. Listen, it doesn't mean we have to be homeless, and it doesn't mean that to follow Christ, we got to forsake all and we can't have things, but it does mean that the things can't have us. It does mean that we can't put those before God. It does mean that you will be inconvenienced before you know it. You will be. You know, I came into this year saying, God, I don't want to just keep rushing into the grocery store because I'm always rushing into the grocery store. Am I the only one? Probably not. Like, I got to hurry up and get in and get out, get in and get out. You know, Sam's Club got the thing where you can do it on your phone. Just scan it and pay there and go. And I thank God for that because I get out of there a lot faster now, right, especially during the holidays. But here's the thing. I came into this year saying, God, I don't want to just have to be rushing into the grocery store and being totally oblivious to the souls around me who don't know Christ. So, I, so God, I want to make sure I make room for that. I want to make sure that I, I, I give myself a little more time to go to the grocery store where I can stay there a little longer and not just shop for more items, but go for souls. And I'm not, listen, I'm not sitting here saying there's no way I can toot my own horn because I can tell you right now I haven't been doing that. And here we are halfway through the year. What is wrong? It's because it's inconvenient. It's because I'm not being intentional. It's because I'm not really thinking like that way. 
And if I'm not doing that, I can guarantee there's some of y'all are not doing that too. Because we get caught up in the, the rigors of life. We get caught up in the routines. We get caught up in we got to go to work. We go to sleep. We eat. We do all these things. And we're totally oblivious not only to the souls around us that need Jesus, but to the community we're in right now who need to know how to walk for Jesus. It's going to be inconvenient. It's not going to be all luxurious. The second person, he wanted to wait until he got his father's inheritance. And it seemed kind of cruel for Jesus to say, you know, let the dead bury the dead. Well, Jesus, I got to go bury my father. Let the dead bury the dead. Like, from face value, you might think, well, he doesn't care about his father. He, he doesn't care about this man's father. But that's not what it was. Father was still alive. This man wanted to wait and stay at home until his father passed so he could get that inheritance. That could be 10, 15 years. But Jesus knew, if you don't follow me now, you won't follow me then. And if you think the inheritance is going to set you up for life, you've got it totally wrong. If we think worldly possessions and success here in this life is going to be the good life, is the life that God designed for us, we've got it totally wrong. Success in the kingdom of God is primarily to be obedient to God's word. That brings success right there. Amen? I, not the success we might imagine. Because we could look at someone who lived a life for Christ and maybe they were homeless or lived a life for Christ and they got killed for Christ, right? And the world would say that's not success, but it is success in the eyes of God because we were made for another life. Amen. And so this man had to make a decision to have a secure future or follow Christ. And so Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. In other words, let the spiritually dead bury the dead we got to stop hanging around dead people. Come on. Jesus never hung around dead people. If he came, they raised up to life because they weren't going to stay dead. Amen? And we can't, listen, a lot of us are not going to make disciples. We're not going to fully follow Jesus if we're hanging around people that are spiritually dead. Oh, I only heard one person on that. We've we got to keep, watch the company we keep because if we think we're going to bring them up to the level where they can walk with God, and they're living for the world, we're sadly mistaken, because they're going to bring us down faster than we're going to bring them up to God. Amen. So you've got to be careful. Amen. It's not to say we don't talk to them about Jesus. We do, but we can't be hanging out in bars with them. Come on. Amen. Come on. We can't be going to places they go. Come on. We've got to know who we're going to try to please. Amen. Amen. All right. Number three, the last one. The other one wanted to first say goodbye to his family and friends. This came at the cost of relationships. When you are typically liked, this is the place you're typically liked where you would be, feel like you're most belonged and uh, the place where you can have love. And, you know, as humans, we want love. We want to find a place where we belong. But yet Jesus is calling this person to possibly leave that. And he might call us to that, too. There might, there might have been some persuasion from the family members, if he was to go back home, they might say, well, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't follow after this man. You don't know where he's taking you. You know, one thing, as I minister to teenagers, I hear quite often, and it really troubles me, is teenagers come back from camp, or they had this encounter with God, and they go home, and it's like a wet blanket is thrown on it. And some of it's from parents. Maybe it's conviction. I don't know. Maybe they, they see the fire in their child, and they don't have that fire, and they get convicted. I really don't know, but it bothers me to no end. And it also bothers me when, when I know 
young people who want to be at church. Want to be at church. Not being forced, they want to be at church, but yet the parents won't even take them. That's got to change. You know, I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah, look. I don't get many opportunities to come up here, but I'm thankful for the time that, that Pastor Jeff gives me, right? And when he does, I'm always going to advocate for the youth. I'm always going to fight for the youth. Because I always hear, they're the, listen, I always hear the, they're the generation of tomorrow. That's not the truth. They're the generation right now. Amen. And if we don't start thinking that way, listen, if we don't start thinking that way, then you're going to see the results of that in this country. We can't speak like that anymore. We've got to tell them and encourage them. If we're always pointing out what they do wrong, especially if they're in the church, then we're already missing it. We've got to applaud efforts. We've got to celebrate things they are doing so that they will know this is acceptable, this is pleasing, this is what God likes. You know, we had a teenager, at least one, getting water baptized today. Anytime we know, amen, anytime we know that there's a teenager getting baptized, we tell the teens upstairs, hey, stick around, let's celebrate, right? Let's, let's clap it up, let's shout for this person to let them know what they're doing is a good thing, Amen. That's not even in my notes. That's free, so take that if you want. But, um, but this man here that had to, had to leave his family and say farewell, um, Jesus said something really good. He said, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you are not fit for the kingdom of God. And what he had in mind was ancient farmers would look for an object on the horizon, let's say a tree, and they would set that with their eyesight set that object above the ox's head and in between the ox's ears. And as long as they're plowing, they keep that object right in the middle above the ox's head and in between the ears, and they stay focused on that. They would plow and tread a straight line so they can put the seeds in the ground. But the minute they turned aside or looked this way or got distracted or even turned back, They would not be cutting a straight line anymore. They would be cutting a crooked line. And what Jesus is telling us to serve him, we've got to look forward, not backwards, not at the good old days, not, oh, I remember when it was like that. No, no, no. The good old days are before us if we are obedient to God. And he says to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Listen, the pathway to the kingdom of God is the straight and narrow, not the crooked. And it's easier for people to follow us as we're following Christ if we are treading a straight and narrow line, not a wishy-washy line, not a crooked line. We're in church one day, we're not the next day. We're serving God one day, we're not the next day. That is a crooked line. How is anyone going to follow Christ when they see a pattern of that? They need to see a pattern that is continually trusting God, continue to be obedient to God, not saying you're perfect, but continually trusting that he is going to work everything out. And to do it with delight and not being grumpy. <laughs> I'm serious. I, can't, I don't want to be around negative Christians. If I want to be around negativity, I'll go to the world because it's always there. If I want to be around someone complaining, I'll go to the world because that's all they do. If I want to be around someone grumpy, I'll go to the world. But I should not be hearing that from a Christian. Because we have a Savior that loves us. And every single day, the Bible says... He loads us down daily with benefits. Every single day, his mercies are new. Come on, every single day, he wakes us up and gives us a fresh start. Every single day, he loves us. 
and he sings over us and he sets his affection on us because he loves us so much. We're faced. Why should we be complaining about things? Listen, I'm not saying be complaint free. There are times that I complain, but there should be more of a mark of joy and more of a mark of being grateful than there should be complaining in your life. Amen. So, these three, they, they, they failed to count the cost. The cost of following Jesus will be hard. Are you willing to follow? Following Jesus means your life is no longer yours. Are you willing to follow? Following Jesus means it will be inconvenient at times. Are you willing to follow? Following Jesus may, you, may mean you will lose some friends, but are you willing to follow? Following Jesus may mean isolation from your family, but are you willing to follow? Will you follow Jesus if it meant losing your reputation because you no longer do the things you did before that people know you by? Will you follow Jesus if it meant losing your job because you don't want to work on Sundays anymore? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it meant losing your entire life? It's either being a disciple of Jesus or maintaining control of your life, but you cannot have it both ways. Amen. So we must not put off the kingdom of God because now is the kingdom of God. Now is a day of salvation. Now is a time to follow him. So this message is talking about the costly yet joyful journey of following Jesus. So what, where is the joy in denying yourself? Because our culture says if you're not happy in your marriage, get a divorce. It's all about you. It's all about your happiness, right? Don't put other people before you. It's, a, it's your time, right? This is the message we hear from the culture, but it is not the message of the Bible. Because this life, you're going to lose your reputation. You, you might lose some friends. You might lose some family. You might lose everything. But according to the Bible and according to if you've walked on this journey, it's well worth it because our prize is greater. Pastor Jeff has told us before, if you've been here, you've heard him say this. Happiness is based on a happening, but circumstances is an inside job. I mean, excuse me, joy is an inside job. So happiness is based on circumstances, being good, being great, right? Worldly happiness, if everything is going good, I get that raise, then I'm happy, right? But if I don't, I feel down. I really was hoping to get that job, but now I'm discouraged, right? That is worldly happiness, right? But godly happiness is something totally different. Godly happiness is joy. It's not based on circumstances. It's the abiding work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, that is happiness. We, listen, we can have a celebration on the inside even though hell is going on on the outside because God is doing the work on the inside of us. Come on, does somebody know what I'm talking about? It is not dictated by whether things go as we plan. It's dictated by our relationship with God and how we are connected with him. It is a choice to rejoice. Amen. We must be grateful, guys. We must be grateful, and we have so many reasons to be thankful. Did you know that joy in the Bible is a celebration? They walked around the walls of Jericho. They celebrated. Amen. They had all kinds of instruments all throughout the Bible. And everyone likes a celebration. If you've ever been to a party where everyone is just somber looking and just boring and dead, and I mean, you're going to find the exit pretty soon, right? Because you, you expected everyone to be joyful and excited. Well, listen, I'm telling you right now, we can have the joy of the Lord because the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? I, listen, I'm not trying to say we're not going to have times where the trials overwhelm us and we get discouraged. 
things like that. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this. If we are connected with God, we have this hope that although it's hell right now, although things are bad right now, when I have the joy of the Lord and I am connected with him, I know brighter days are ahead. Even if they're not here on earth, I know that when I get to heaven, I will see him face to face. And this is our hope. Amen. And so, Paul, you, you know Philippians, Philippians is a book of joy, but Paul was not writing this in a comfy chair. He was not writing this poolside in a lush hotel. He was not writing this with a cocktail in his hand, right? He was not writing this with the sun shining. He was writing this in a dark, gloomy, cold prison where he had just been beaten, and he's got open wounds, probably getting infected. He was shackled. He was in this state of mind when he told the Philippians, to rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. He didn't say, guys, really pray for me. Fast for me. I'm really going through a lot right now, guys. My, my anxiety is bothering me because I'm stuck in this, this jail cell. I, 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 I'm claustrophobic. And, and guys, I'm really having a hard time praying. And I don't really see Jesus right now. And, and listen, I know those things happen with us. But Paul never complained when he was in prison. In fact, he counted it a joy to be suffering like Christ. Did you hear that? He counted it a joy to be suffering like Christ. What would our life look like if we just decided, you know what, I want to be more like Christ, not just in the things that we favor, but in the things that we don't favor, namely suffering. I mean, how many of us just say, you know what, I just want to suffer today? We don't do for some trials. We don't just wake up and say, man, I just hope everything goes wrong today. We don't do that. It's not a natural response for us to be joyful. It's not a natural response because it's a choice that we have to make. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind. People could have been like, Paul, are you insane? You're telling us to be joyful? Do you see our situation? And Paul could have been like, well, look at my situation. Because they were being persecuted. That church was having enemies from the inside and from the outside. But yet Paul said, look, rejoice. Rejoice. Why? He had the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is a settled assurance. It is a quiet confidence in the sovereignty of God in spite of what's going around, uh, around you. Come on. It's an inner stability because you know that God is in control and this causes you to make a choice to praise him and to give him glory. Even when everybody thinks you should be losing your mind, you decide I'm going to rejoice anyhow because I can't change the circumstances, but I know that God is still in control. Listen, that is where we have to get to. Amen. Today, today we celebrate my daughter, my youngest daughter's fifth birthday. But she was not supposed to be born on this day five years ago. She came as a, as, as a preemie two months early. And we did not know the trials that, were gonna be, that we were going to be facing, and yet we didn't know the trial that she was going to be going through as she came into this world. You know, because every person that has, every parent that has a child, you want a healthy baby, right? You want the baby to, you know, no complications. You want the baby to be healthy and thriving and all these good things that we desire. And I remember when we found out we were going to have another child because we, we weren't planning to have another child. So I'm like, okay, well, Lord must want us to have another child because he knows we didn't plan on this. So I asked the Lord, I was like, Lord, and I don't claim to ever hear God's audible voice, but it's like a nudge in my heart that I can't shake. 
I, and when we knew it was a female, I said, Lord, what should we name this little girl? He said, Joy. That's okay. Why Joy? And he said, because she's going to bring joy to this family. And I was like, Lord, we already have joy. I mean, we're good. <laughs> Thank you, but I don't, does it make sense to me, right? And so I asked, why, God, we have joy? He never responded. I never felt a nudge after that. It wasn't until the day she was born and the subsequent months that happened after that that I understood joy on a different level, that I understood that the joy was deeper than just everything going well, but some things that were uncomfortable, some things that we didn't like, some trials that we did not expect. We did not expect for two months having to go back and forth every single day to the hospital and take our other two kids with us and they have no idea what's going on they're like why can't she come home with us we didn't expect her to be born it so tiny that I could hold her in the palm of my hand we didn't expect her to have all the complications she had and her lungs were not fully developed her heart was not fully developed her eyesight and you know had a hip issue and all the things that physically were going on and that she had to stay two months in the NICU we did not understand all that we did not prepare for that it was nothing on our radar it was definitely inconvenient right because we just want everything to go smooth it was definitely uncomfortable it was definitely hard and I remember when my wife called me and said she's got to go to the hospital because of her blood pressure and then she I don't even know the name of it anymore but she said the doctor said you possibly had this is what possibly going on and I made a huge mistake. I went and Googled it. Because I had never heard this term before, right? This medical term. I Googled it. And guys, let me tell you something. You got an itch on your body right now? Don't Google it. <laughs> because it's going to say you're going to die, okay? That's, <laughs> all roads lead to death. So don't do that, all right? But I made that mistake. And I'm reading this. And it said there's a possible chance of losing the baby and the mother. And so this is in my mind as I'm at home, leaving the gym, gathering all our belongings to rush it to the hospital, and, and it was deeply affecting me. It was in my mind. I was scared. I was fearing that not only may I lose this child, but I might lose my wife. I let fear enter in and capture my heart, and I was not trusting God. We're in the, in the room. They've got all these machines hooked, to, hooked up to my wife, so they're monitoring the baby, <clears throat> and um. At one point, the doctor comes in, and he's got this concerned look on his face. That is not a good sign, right, when the doctor comes in, and he's got panic on his face. And he's rushing in, and he's got a fleet of nurses, about eight of them, and they're coming in, and they're unhooking all the machines from my wife, and they're about to wheel her out, and I have no idea what's going on. They're not telling me anything. Um, I'm just like, just like this, right? And as they're wheeling her out, and the last nurse going through the door, she turns around and says, Mr. Smith, we'll... We'll get back with you in a minute or something like that. It's all a blur, to be honest, because I thought I was, thought I was losing everything. And while, I'm, while I was in that room, I was used to hearing beeping and stuff from the machines, but now all that was gone, and it was dark outside, it was dark in the room, and all I was left with was with my thoughts. And I was tormented. I did not trust God in that moment. I thought God left us. I started accusing God. I'm being transparent with y'all. Because sometimes we, we put on this facade. We put on this face like everything's going all right. But guess what? It's okay to tell someone 
you know what, I'm having trouble right now. I'm having trouble trusting God because I've noticed in some of my deepest, darkest times is when I have felt the presence of God most. Because it's easy to praise God. It's easy to read the word and pray when everything is going good in your life, but it's a lot more challenging when all hell is breaking loose and you feel like you're losing your mind, you're losing yourself, you're losing everything, everything is being ripped at the core, and you're like wondering, where are you, God? But there's plenty of examples in the Bible of people like this. Job, Joseph, David. I mean, I could go on down the list. They got in these dark times and these dark moments, but God showed up and he showed out. Yes, he does. Amen. And so, we had no idea. I had no idea how much joy she was going to bring into our life. It's not just a name. And what we had to go through, watching her on a phone at 3 a.m., all the wires hooked up, and just like, Lord, we want to hold her. We can't. Did not plan for it. But yet, through the process of going back and forth to the hospital with our kids, I began to see God bringing us closer together. Because all we cared about was that little girl. And that every milestone she hit, we celebrated. Got the CPAP off. We were like, yes, you know, gain another ounce. Yes, you know. All those little milestones would not have been possible, and we would not have rejoiced and got closer to each other and closer to God had we not had those. But it's not like we signed up for it, and nobody does. But God will give us strength in the midst of the trials if we just trust him. Amen. And so that leads me to James chapter 1. This, to the natural mind, if you're in here and you don't have the spirit of God, this sounds insane, what I'm about to read. And maybe if you do have the spirit of God, it's hard for your mind to comprehend, but look at this. James said, count it all joy, my brothers, when everybody likes you. No. Count it all joy when everything goes good in your life. No, he said, when you meet all kinds of trials, various trials, anything you can even imagine trials. We always pray for the unimaginable that God would do in our life, and we think of good, but what about the unimaginable in our life that we never thought of that's for bad, that we don't feel good about? Verse 3, he said, why? Because you know that the testing, there's a test involved, the testing of your faith, what? Will produce endurance. It'll produce steadfastness. So he's saying, he's saying this, count it up, consider it, evaluate it. And he's not saying if the trials come, he's saying when the trial comes, because it's coming. Amen. It's... But here's the thing, you don't even have to know Jesus today, and you're still going to experience trials. I don't know how people got through COVID without Jesus. I don't know how people were in isolation and deal with all that we have dealt with. I, I don't know how they do that without Jesus. I had to have Jesus, more Jesus than I had before COVID. I had to, and I thank God that I did press in harder and harder to God because I didn't know what was going on. But our natural response is not to rejoice at trouble. When our pattern of peace is disruptive, it's not a, a time where we say, I'm going to rejoice. But listen, joy is an inside work of the Holy Spirit as we stay connected to God and as we stay connected with Jesus. And the primary means of trials for Christians is to be more Christ-like. Without the trials, we would not be because we wouldn't seek God like we should be seeking him. We wouldn't fast 
We, we would not do these things typically because we do those things when we're going through something hard. And this is how God brings those things to make all things work together for those who, are, who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. He'll make them for our good and for his glory, even the bad things, because he wants to work the image of Christ in us, the character of Christ in us. He wants discipleship. Amen. And so, sometimes God will divinely orchestrate trials for us. I think I should say that one again. I said sometimes he will divinely orchestrate trials for you. I hear some moaning and groaning out there. I feel you because we don't like that, right? But we can look throughout the Bible. Job, Joseph, David, I mentioned them and more. They're, they're there. It's not the pain, obviously, we get the joy from, but it's the purpose behind the pain. Because there is a purpose. We are developed spiritually through hardship if we stay in the process. Our faith is going to be tested. How are we going to respond when it is tested? It's not enough to say we believe the demons believe and tremble at the name of God, but yet they do not follow Jesus. Listen, it's not enough to have lip service. We must have our faith tested to come out as pure gold. Amen. It has to be. And so we must make that commitment that when we face trials, and listen, if you're not in a trial right now, amen, right? But you know the season is going to change. It's going to happen one day. Be prepared. That's the wise thing to do. Be prepared. Spend that time with God right now because you're going to need it for that trial. You're going to need him. If you're on low right now with your devotion time with God, it's time to get it back together. Because when that time comes and you're in that trial, it might just be you and God alone, and you're going to need him. This will be a test of faith. Look at Jesus, how he faced this. Hebrews 12, 2. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he what? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So it's obvious that God will work through joy. He'll work joy through our trials and our suffering. Because listen, Jesus was not focused on the suffering primarily. He was focused on being obedient to the Father. He knew God called him to die for the sins of the world. And so his joy came from I'm obedient to God and I'm also getting people reconciled to God through my act. This is where our joy comes from, being obedient to God. And so God wants his joy in us. Did you know that? Let's look at John 15. If you keep my commandments, this is Jesus talking, you will abide in my love. You will live in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and live in his love. Look at this. These things I have spoken to you that what? My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So not only does God want his joy in us, he wants it to be full. He doesn't want it to be halfway, just a little dab. He wants the whole full overflow of joy in your life. And it comes through one of the ways is obedience. Obedience to God doesn't have to be a drag. It can be a delight. Have you ever thought about that? You know, the naysayers and the atheists and the, the people that think we're crazy and insane because we live by this book and, and we, we die by this book and we want to be obedient to God. They may say, well, you're just boxed in. You're not having fun. You need to enjoy life. What, what joy is there in, in, in living, against, uh, living with all these rules and these parameters and commandments? And you know what? I think some of us Christians look at that the same way. 
like God is just some cosmic killjoy, right? Like he just wants us to be frustrated. Like he just wants us to, to be obedient and, and have an ugly looking face while we're being obedient. But that is not what it is. See, while the world is mocking us, while the world is laughing and saying you guys are restricted, listen, I have never been more freer in my life than I am right now. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And I'm not saying that because I'm supposed to say that. I'm being honest. I did a lot of things in the world that you might consider exciting or fun, but it is nothing compared to living for God. It is nothing compared when the Holy Spirit is inside of you and he produces the fruit of joy in your life. I get joy waking up every single day. I get joy coming to church and seeing these teenagers and saying, God, what are you going to do today? I get joy living obedient to God's word. I may not like it sometimes, but I know it's best for me. And those rules and those commandments and all those things that we look at and we want to just not do, those things are not there to harm us. They're there to protect us. And it's evidence that God loves us because he does have those parameters. Amen. Any good parent knows any good parent knows that you can't let your child just do whatever they want. You have to lay down some laws. You've got to have some rules. And you don't lay them down because you want to kill their fun. You lay them, lay them down because you want to protect them. And you want them to experience real joy. Amen? God's no different. He's no different. So Jesus had great joy in obeying his father. Look at Jeremiah 15, 16. Listen, we can have... When the, joy, when the word of God becomes our joy, it can be a delightful thing. He says, your words were found and I ate them. I love that. I feel like that when I get in the word. Another translation says, I devoured them. And your words became to me a joy and delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, O God of hosts. Jeremiah feasted off of God's word. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You know, God made it to where we have to eat food to be alive, right? To sustain, to, to, to be living. But listen, he could have made it where we didn't have taste buds, but he didn't do that. He wanted us to take delight in the thing that we have to do to survive, so he gave us taste buds. So when we eat that cheeseburger, we say, mmm, that tastes good, right? When we eat that pasta, we say, oh, that's so good, right? Imagine if we didn't have taste buds. Everything would taste like cardboard right? We, we would probably start eating vegetables, man, because it doesn't matter. It's like, well, I don't like broccoli, but it tastes like a burger, so it doesn't matter because they all taste the same, right? Listen, I think some of us as Christians, we are living a life of obedience to God without taste buds because we're not taking delight in what we're doing. We're living like we're eating off cardboard. Come on. We're just living with no feeling, no joy, no, no expression of joy. But God needs to awaken our spiritual taste buds. So taste and see the Lord is good. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. So we don't have to compare ourselves to the world and think, oh, well, they're having more fun than I am. I got I to gotta do this Jesus thing. Or I got to read the Bible. Why? I'm just supposed to. I'm a Christian. It's not how it's supposed to be at all. Jeremiah said he was hungry. He ate his word. That, I don't know about you, but when I eat, I enjoy eating. I enjoy eating the word of God, too. Amen. Amen. So we don't have to focus on that, guys. We don't have to focus on what we do and don't have because our greatest gain is knowing God. Ecclesiastes 3.11, I'm almost done. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in the man's heart so that they cannot find out what God had done from the beginning to the end. Listen, 
Nothing God has created is meaningless, including you and I. We all have a purpose, and our purpose is for him. Our purpose is for eternity. Listen, everything in Genesis that God created, he called it good. That included us when he made us in his own image. He called it good. So listen, hello, non-believer. You think you don't have a purpose? You have a purpose in Christ. You have a purpose in Jesus, but you have to submit to him. You have to know him. You have to know that Jesus died on the cross and resurrected from the grave for your sins to have forgiveness and reconcile you to your purpose, which is God. But until you know that, you're not going to be fully satisfied because that car is going to rust one day. That house one day is going to need repairs. Come on. That shiny phone you got, one day you're not going to care about it in this world we're not meant to fully satisfy and God designed it that way we're only meant to be fully satisfied when we know God and that's it completely end of it zero I could fold up my laptop and be done and say that's it because that is where our joy comes from that is where our delight comes from it's in knowing Jesus Christ so that's something the world cannot take away from us joy is also connected to prayer John 16, 20 says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And listen, no one is going to take away your joy. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he says, I will give it to you. And and this, this is a real good part right here. Verse 24, until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive. Why? So that your joy may be full. But it's in him, not in possessions. Come on. Obviously, I have never had a baby before. My wife has had three babies, so I've been told there's a lot of pain. Can I get an amen from the women who've had babies? A lot of pain, right? I heard a groan over here, like, amen, I remember. Oh, yeah, right? But when the baby comes, that all passes away, right? You're not dwelling on the pain anymore because you've got a literal bundle of joy in your arms. God is saying the same thing about the sorrow we have in this world. Do you believe God still answers prayer today? That he'll answer your prayer. Do you believe that? Amen. Prayer is connected to the joy you receive. And remember, God wants your joy full. He wants it complete. He wants our joy to be full. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you my joy. We don't have to conjure it up. We don't have to look anywhere but him. It's right there. He says, I will give it to you. So say this with me. God, give me joy today. Come on, one more time. God, give me joy today. today. Amen. This last scripture I want to read is Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fell, and the fields yield no food, the flock be caught off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Amen. Hallelujah. Everything, everything the prophet, prophet Habakkuk knew as normal suddenly was coming unraveled. But yet his desire and his longing was for God himself. 
He didn't care about his livelihood. He didn't care about the result of his hard work. As long as he had God, that's all he needed. Listen, God is our reward. Amen. We may not get everything we want here on earth, but we have God and he is enough. Is Christ sufficient enough for us today? Amen. I got a quick video I want to show you and then we're going to stand. Go ahead and play the video. Start with ESPN for, for the players. I know you talk about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious. It's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in? Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances. And outcomes, and um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So uh, I would, that's really the only the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. 1,000% agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I I was so happy to win the college. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have – I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled, and I had to find Christ in that. And I think that is what makes our team so strong is that – we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously we've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. Yeah, um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up. And you guys see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and, and our love for each other and our love for the game, because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think once we figured that out and that was our purpose and everyone was all in with that, um, it's really changed so much for us. And I mean, I know myself, I, I've seen so much of a growth in myself with um, once I turned to Jesus and I realized how he had changed my outlook on life, not just softball, but understanding how much I have to live for, and that's living to exemplify the kingdom. And I think that brings so much freedom. And I'm sure everyone's story is similar, but we all have those great testimonies that have really like shown how awesome it is to play for something bigger. Um, and I think that's just what brings me so much joy. And no matter the outcome, whether we get a trophy in the end or not, we're, this isn't our home, and I think that's what's amazing about it is we have so much more. We have an eternity of joy with our Father, and I'm so excited about that. And, yes, I live in the moment, but I know this isn't my home, and um, no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end um, when we're with our, our King. So, Amen. Can we stand? Can we stand to our feet? You know, I, I probably should have just played that video and just didn't even preach because they said a mouthful my gosh I don't even pay attention to, to college softball at all and um, but I did some research after someone sent me that video and it was this was this message was already in my spirit 
And I was like, wow, I got to play that. I got to play that video. Um, but it made me pay attention now because I wanted to know more. I was like, let me see more about these ladies. Like, someone's raising them right. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> so, every time I watch it, I've watched it so many times, I just feel the presence of God. I hope you do as well. And we can carry his presence everywhere we go. We may have trials and sorrow in this life, and we will and experience pain and loss. But on the other side of death is the greatest joy we could ever imagine awaiting us. Like the lady said, you know, we get to experience the joy of the Lord with our King. Trophies are nothing. And I believe from what I was reading that was there, like, that was right before they just won the championship again. That was before they played uh, for the championship. And I'm not mistaken, they've won three years in a row now, but they don't care about that. They're not putting trophies before God. They're not putting their accolades and their accomplishments. They're a team, and all they want to do is glorify God. If a softball team can do that, how much more should a church? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you, O oh Lord, that we don't have to have everything together, God. We don't have to have all these material things, oh God. All we need is you. All we need is you, Father. So God, I just pray if there's anyone here today struggling to find that joy, that God, that they will see that it's wrapped up in you, Father, that you are the joy. That if we seek the joy giver, we receive joy. That if we live for the joy giver, we receive joy. Doesn't mean that everything is going to go right all the time, God. You told us it's not. But God, I think we could get through it better if we have the joy of the Lord. So God, I just pray for anyone here that doesn't know you or maybe are not living a joyful life as a disciple of Jesus. It's just boring to them, God. It's just a duty. It's just a thing they do on Sunday. God, I pray with all that I can, Father, that you would just turn that around today. That, God, that they will walk out of here with a whole different outlook. That the next time they come to church, God, or even tomorrow when they go to their job, they can feel your presence. They can understand that I have a loving Savior who died on the cross for me and my sins are forgiven. And that joy would flow out of that, God, to know, Lord, that if they were to die today, they will be in your presence, God. They will be in heaven seeing Jesus face to face and all the things of the past, all the worries and concerns they may have today have gone. They're gone. And all we have is you. And that's all we need. So God, we thank you for what you're doing. Make our joy complete. Make it full. Let it overflow, God. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. If I could have some prayer warriors come up here, get some prayer warriors to come up here. We're going to dismiss. If you need prayer, as I dismiss everyone, just come up and link arms with one of these prayer warriors. Um, but I'm not going to do a one, two, three thing like Pastor Jeff. That's his thing. All I'm going to say is God bless you and have a good week. We love you. Amen.